Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. And I'm sick, but we're making it work. We're here. What's up? It's Anne. Anne, we are joined in our third chair today by good friend of the podcast, Owen from the YouTube channel, Owen Likes Comics. How you doing, Owen? Hello, thank you for having me. I am currently recording this pitch black in the dark, so this is a very scary experience. Um, <laughs> but this is, but yeah, I'm happy to be here. How are how are the pair of you? Um, you know, I've had better days, but this is going to be the bright spot of mm-hmm. my day. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that darkness is, Owen? That's the uncertainty of a wavering future. You know, it's. You don't know what's going to come tomorrow. It could be it could be crazy. And just like exactly. just like this book we're talking about today, there's some crazy shit that happens. Mm-hmm. Have either of you been seeing any visions of a specter that wants your take on the fate of the world? See, Always. that happens to me quite often. Uh-huh. Oh, you too? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll just get a vision from this, like, ethereal creature asking me what my thoughts are on obscure comics from the 80s mm-hmm. and then you make a youtube video on it exactly the prophet, the prophet of our generation a youtuber i got jim corrigan and my twitter dms being like hey that 80s aquaman series that any that we're checking out i'm like yes the aquaman mini from the 80s is fantastic everyone should read it the stealth suit is so underrated it's great you see dear listener if you have not surmised from the title of this episode from all of our promotional tweets about this episode, from the tie-in TikTok about this episode, we are talking with Owen, expert on all comics, about Kingdom Come from Mark Wade and Alex Ross. So my question right out of the gate, Owen, are what are your initial thoughts and feelings about Kingdom Come from Ross and Wade? Okay, so yeah, so when you approached me about doing this episode, I was very excited because not to kind of give away my thoughts too early, but I I am on record saying I think this might be the greatest DC comic ever written. And I don't know if I stand by that necessarily, and but it is definitely up there uh, as one of my favorite DC books of all time. And I think it's definitely one of the most important and, and interesting books talking about the state of the industry when it was written. Uh, and it, it's a book that I can I can read time and time again countlessly and find so many interesting parts about it i'm I'm literally holding the book and flicking through it as i'm talking to you guys um yeah no you know the the cover of this book says uh the greatest superhero epic of tomorrow and i don't think there's a better encapsulation of what kingdom come is so owen you say this is a treatise on the era of comic books that it came out in. For our listeners that aren't quite as in the know, could you explain a little bit of the historical context of Kingdom Come? And listener, if you are not aware, this is Owen's specialty. And if you like this next little segment, absolutely check out their YouTube channel. Sure. So Kingdom Come was published in 1996. It's an Elseworlds book um, written by Mark Wade and drawn by Alex Ross, although the kind of concept and the pitch for the series was devised by Ross himself. Um, A little bit of background on how it came to be. So in 1994, Ross was working uh, on a similar kind of series for Marvel called Marvels, which is this kind of like from the everyday perspective of a photographer of the history of the Marvel universe as it's developed by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko in the early 1960s. Incredible book. 
beloved series, one of the greatest Marvel books of its generation. And coming out of that, Ross wanted to do a very similar story for DC. Um, he, But he wanted to kind of, whereas Marvel's is a study of the kind of past of the Marvel universe, his DC book, he wanted to flip that and study the future of, of the DC universe. So he drew a lot of inspiration in his initial pitch from uh, Watchmen and the work of Alan Moore. Um, Watchmen being a major influence book, perhaps the most significant influence being an unpublished pitch that Moore did before he left DC in 1987 called Twilight the Superheroes, which was a kind of apocalyptic, far future epic about the destruction of the DC universe and how superheroes will inevitably destroy themselves and ruin the world. Um, That was never formally published at the time, but the versions and drafts of it are kind of leaked online and it's something that people within the industry were very aware of. So so Ross was intrigued by these ideas and wanted to tell his own version of that kind of story. Um, and initially he, he sought a writer to help him work on it. And he first wanted James Robinson, um, best known at the time for being the writer of Starman. Um, there's an interview with Ross in Wizard Magazine where he talks about, he wrote this kind of 40 page outline um, around the same time he was still working on Marvels and he, he pitched it to Robinson because Robinson's writing style, particularly on Starman, reminded him of a young Alan Moore. Um, and then as the project evolved, as he kind of kept workshopping it, DC eventually recommended Mark Wade to write the book instead. Um, not only because of Wade's success and his talent as a writer, I, th- I think he's one of the greatest DC writers of all time, but he's also a very experienced editor for DC. So he knows a lot about a lot of different characters and he's he very much an encyclopedic knowledge of the DC universe. So that's kind of how the book came together in terms of the content of it. But contextually, I think it has a really interesting place in DC's history. Um, Wade talks about this a lot. So his interpretation of Kingdom Come was kind of being a commentary on the state of superhero comics in the mid 1990s, particularly in like the image era of, you know, morally ambiguous anti-hero characters, Spawn, Cable, those kind of characters that really became popular in in the 90s and so wade was very much wanting to tell a story that throws back to the the silver age and the golden age of comics a period of more kind of traditional altruistic heroism um and fighting against this kind of rise of anti-hero and also fighting against kind of major status quo changes that were going on in this period i think this is only a couple of years removed from stories like the death of superman nightfall emerald twilight so we're seeing these these kind of cornerstones these tenants of the dc universe batman superman green lantern be torn down and replaced with these kind of dark reflections of themselves so wade wanted to write this story that was a an antidote to that and a celebration of the kind of pure heroism that the original versions of these characters represented um so it's kind of taking the the classic superheroes of the dc universe and planting them in a future that reflects that kind of growing sense of nihilism and pessimism that books like Watchmen kind of start and then is popularized in a lot of 90s comics um, and shows that how even in this kind of hopeless future, the heroes of yesteryear are still the greatest ideas that we have and are still powerful enough to lift us up and save us, even in our darkest moments. Um, If you have any questions on that or you want me to elaborate on anything, please chime in. But that's a, a brief overview of what this book is and what it's about. No, I, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you doing all the work for us. So that was it. Um, Dallas, what are we reading next week? Um, I feel like we're set. <laughs> Anne, 
You have gone mm-hmm. on record as a dirty, no good Detective Comics fan. <laughs> How Don't. does Kingdom Come factor into your fandom of the DC universe? When I was first really getting into comics, because I like, you know, I've I've talked about it before. I've just I tiptoed my way around it for most of my childhood. I would pick up a comic every now and then, but like nothing clicked for the longest time. But one thing started clicking about 10 years ago when I started going to comic shops regularly. I started checking out all there was to see. DC was that universe that pulled me in. And there was something about it just from like a mythology standpoint that made this universe feel so special and so big. And it was like, it, it felt like I was a kid learning about the Greek gods again and just this entire pantheon of wonderful characters that I got to meet and to experience. And just, it, it felt so overwhelming at first, but in like a good way where it's like, there's just so much here. There's such a rich tapestry of themes and characters and settings. And kingdom come was one of the first books that I was fortunate enough to pick up. And I was fortunate enough to pick it up from um, my library, which had an absolute edition, which by the way, is the same exact, not the same exact books. My library still has that one, but I'm holding that absolute edition now. And it was the first comic I remember reading that took my breath away in the way that it's like, I can't believe that I'm holding art like this in my hands and getting to look at this right now in a, in a comic book. Cause I, I had a certain expectation for what comics should look like and what they should be. And this defied all of those. Every painting feels like, it belongs in a museum. Every page feels like it could. Um, every page was striking and memorable. And I could just stare at it for hours and hours, taking in every little detail. And I, I read the whole book in one day. I remember that very specifically. I remember where it was in this room. I remember where my chair was. And I remember it took me about two or three hours but I just sat in that chair all evening reading this book. And when it was over, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> it was absolutely incredible. There wasn't enough Aquaman for my taste, but that was my only take. That was my only negative takeaway. Everything else I thought was absolutely wonderful. And I'm like, I need every book that I read from DC to be exactly like this. I need this beautifully vibrant and wide expansive dc universe that has all of this history and these relationships both spoken and unspoken and i looking at my absolute copy now i spent the first five ten minutes before the um podcast just looking through the back at all the um the character designs and all the biographies that mark wade um put in the back and um alex ross put in the back just comparing my my mental notes what i know now versus what i knew then and what they knew then because there's a lot of really funny nods where it's like you're trying to predict where comics are going to go and you can only see the the sliver where they are right now like in this universe aquaman marries dolphin for some reason and so she's she's the one who's with him in atlantis at the end and you see things like um donna and terry were apparently still together and they had a kid who's um black star now and it's like that's um that was certainly a thing that happened in comics. <laughs> um so yeah, it's it's funny where it's like this little 
um, time capsule from a very specific point in DC's history, but it's trying to predict where we go, where we be now with the characters. And it's, it's really interesting to revisit again after 10 years. I've read this, I've read this several times in between now and then, but this is like the first time I feel like I've really invested into it. And it's just, I think it holds up so, so well. And Alex Ross, his art gives these costumes the exact level of comic bookiness they need them to have. I love superhero costumes that look like spandex. I know there's so many people that feel like they're desensitized to it now where they're like, if it looks like spandex, I won't be able to take it seriously. I'm like, I'm begging you to take a comic book like a comic book for once. It's such a different Mm -hmm. experience and it's so fun because it embraces that. It's so uniquely, um, I don't want to say camp. I'm I'm looking for a more endearing word than that. Kind of sincere, I'd say. Yeah. That's, it's that's a sincere perfect, representation of these characters. In terms of costume as well, I do just want to chime in and say, because I'm staring at it right now. Is this a controversial opinion to say that this is the greatest Superman design in terms of costume? Um, yes, because it has trunks. And um, if you like Superman with trunks, you're clearly not a real fan. Um, uh, Zack Snyder will come again. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I do take this back because I'm flicking through the book and he does have a ponytail. Which okay, that one we can we can debate the um the ponytail look all day long because no. <laughs> and like, I understand that Super- I understand that Superman had a mullet at this time and you know Clark Kent had a ponytail. But, but I don't know how I feel about Superman with a ponytail. It's I don't I'll I'll tell you how I feel. I don't like it. Don't like it one bit. Um Joker did lower us a, a favor to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I think it's very telling he cuts it off for his big comeback. Oh yeah. It's give the people what they want and they don't want the ponytail. So talk, we're talking about like just how much this book means and what it meant on like my DC journey. I talking about like character design. A lot of these character designs are so clever and beautiful. The one I keep thinking about is um, the one that's based on like HR Geiger's designs. The, the woman who's in like the alien suit. Hmm. Cause that shit goes hard. That shit goes yeah. so hard. And there's been a lot of great costume designs since, but I wish that comics still had some of the, um, I don't know, the, the willingness to do something that isn't modern, something that is inspired by something classical or campy. And I do love um, designs like American Mando, which fully embrace that insane <laughs> overdesign of the 90s. And... <laughs> That little section of the story with America Mando might be my favorite part of the entire book. And mm-hmm. there's so many incredible parts. But that whole section where he's kind of... Um, so he's atop the Statue of Liberty and he, mm-hmm. he's dressed in the most like garish costume of the American flag you could possibly imagine. His, his cape and cowl is literally like an eagle. His oh, yeah. cape is the literal flag. He looks like a, like a heel wrestler from the 80s whose gimmick is that he's like an over-the-top patriot. Yeah, uh, if, Homel- if Homelander happened in the 90s, that's what he would look like. Oh, yeah, no, th- this design for America Mando makes the Homelander costume from the boys look subtle oh, and yeah. understated, and I love that. Um, and he's this very, like, over-the-top, kind of xenophobic, anti-immigration caricature, shooting at um, migrants coming on to Ellis Island, and then you get this shot of the seven of the kind of justice league and the heroes coming down from the heavens and um, to stop him. And it, it's so beautiful. 
and how that's later flipped with the shot of Batman and, and his team kind of ascending, like the coming mm. from how great Alex yeah. Ross is a genius. And there's so many like subtle things in here that I really, really love. There's um, King Marvel, which is, um, you know, since later in life, Elvis started adapting some of that Captain Marvel look into his own like real life stage looks. So mm-hmm. Alex Ross was like, hey, what if I take it back and I start putting some Elvis stuff into a Captain Marvel? And so it's yeah. like, well, that's what Freddy looks like now. And his um, his kid is basically Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And his design for Aquaman was like, hey, he's King Arthur. What if I just dress him up like King Arthur? Would that not make him look royal as shit? And it does. Oh, and it looks really, so really cool. works. It's just Also, I love man. seeing Batman in like the full body brace. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I feel about Darth Batman. <laughs> Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, it is very much like it is very much like in Return of the Jedi when Luke like lifts the mask off. That is the kind of vibe that Bruce is giving at all points in this book. <laughs> I'm okay with that. The old geezer had a hard life. I don't know. Un- most underrated design, either for the the fourth Flash or for Tula. I love them both. Mm. I love Perpetual Motion Flash. <sighs> it's perfect. Oh, such a great, great evolution of that character. And I love, I love Alan Scott's um, Space Temple. And also, I think it's wild out of all the Green Lanterns that Alan Scott is the last one left on Earth. And I love that him and Jade make it through the whole story. Jade's costume, though, she's just like, listen, I'm in a nightgown and my titties are out. What else could I ask for? (laughs) That's all I need. (laughs) Okay. A really kind of subtle design and something, a kind of small detail in this book that I really love before we get into kind of like the big questions mm-hmm. is the section where Superman goes to Apocalypse and meets with Orion. And we see that Orion has essentially kind of evolved and transformed into Darkseid. Yes. Mm-hmm. But without all of like the kind of stone, like he looks like a human version of Darkseid. Uh, and I think, I just think that's like such a cool design and such an interesting kind of, because you see him at first, because it's kind of two panel this two page kind of spread where you see apocalypse and you see like the silhouette of someone watching over apocalypse and you only kind of see it from the behind and it, it looks like dark side. And then it's only when Superman, you know, uh, acknowledges the person he turned around that you realize it's Orion. It's, it's just such a cool little twist. That's definitely a take your breath away. Once you know that silhouette reveal. Like that had no impact yeah, on me the first time I read this, but this time I was like, wow, that was a great design. Yeah. Oh yeah. So an interesting thing I wanted to ask you, Dallas, is um obviously me and Anne have talked a little bit about our entry point into this series. When did you first read Kingdom Come? Uh, and what were your thoughts on it kind of when you first read it versus now that you kind of if you read it quite early on in your kind of comics life, how that interpretation of it has maybe changed over the years? Oh, absolutely. Kingdom Come was one of the early comics I read because it's in every best comics of all times list. And I basically used those as my roadmap through comic books for the first year of my reading. I thought that Kingdom Come was interesting and I liked it as its own piece, but it didn't have a lot of resonance with me yet because I read it so early in my DC career. It was the first time, however, that I felt like the DC universe was large because I came in during the New 52 where 
frankly, it was like the Trinity and nothing else was really on my radar. And so there was this weird juxtaposition where all of the made up heroes and all of the not made up heroes in this were kind of on an equal plane with me and thus made the DC universe feel very populated in this book and therefore so much more sparse in the new 52 comics that I was reading. That's really Um, interesting. I think that this interpretation of Superman was very interesting to me because a really big entry point for me into the DC universe was the Injustice video game. And I that clearly draws so much from Kingdom Come. And I thought that this was a better executed version of Superman giving up on his dream and then having to take it all back being the real story and sort of the push and pull of fascism. I don't know that I was thinking about that at 17 as much as like, mm-hmm. oh no, Superman's acting kind of like a bad guy where now I think about Superman touching base with Orion as dark side and being like, oh, I'm walking down a path I don't want to walk and being like, ah, yeah. this is a book about totalitarian government. Interesting, Mark <laughs> Wade. And just knowing how much Watchmen was in Ross's mind during the conception of this book, it's great to see that that Alan Moore conversation about superheroes' potential for fascism being addressed and then subverted by Wade to show that Superman, the best of us, would overcome that has made Kingdom Come a very special book. I think that's a really interesting point to raise because, you know, we talked at the beginning about how Ross took a lot of inspiration from Moore's writing when devising this. You mentioned Watchmen, which is that kind of like creating allegories of kind of the archetypical superheroes and showing them get corrupted by a darker world. But for me, I'm always really interested in how this mirrors Moore's Twilight of the Superheroes, which for those who might not be too familiar with the concept, because like I said earlier, it was never published is set in the far future. It's it's all about this kind of apocalyptic war between factions and houses that kind of kind of rule the world. You know, there's a house of L, there's a house of Themyscira and so on and so forth. And eventually it's, I'm trying to remember because it's been a while since I've read Moore's outline, but it, it's set around John Constantine who, in very Days of Future Past style, sends himself back with a warning of this is going to happen in the future. And the big twist at the end is that the future Constantine has sent him back not to prevent this future, but to ensure that it happens and ensures that superheroes destroy themselves, which is a very Alan Moore, you know, at that time he was writing a very, the kind of thing he'd tell. So it's interesting that Wade and Ross would take this concept, but subvert it, take superheroes into this kind of dark nihilistic future. And yet by the end of it, affirm that Superman and the Justice League and the DC Universe's heroes are so great and so mighty that even in this dystopian hellish future, they still have the power to lift us up and save us like they always have. I also think you're pointing out earlier that James Robinson was the initial desired writer for this series opens a lot of doors in my mind. Um, I recently finished my first read through of Starman. Thanks to Anne. Mm -hmm. Now one of my favorite comics of all time and Robinson's approach to the golden age as an inspiration for the next generation and sort of those values and the classic heroism of the golden age being so ingrained into Starman 
makes elements of this book make so much sense. I mean, we open on Wesley Dodds passing away. We have a very golden age approach to the costuming and morality of the classic heroes. And in an era now where it feels like we return so much to the silver and bronze age, it makes kingdom come a very fascinating piece because it's reflecting on comic books that we know more in spirit than in content. Yeah. No, that, that's a really just a point. And I do always wonder because like, I know in terms of art, this book is like such a product of Alex Ross's brilliance, but in terms of its themes and the questions it asks and what it says about the industry, I, I've always found it to be very archetypical of a lot of the big things that Mark Wade writes. It's kind of like the predominant Mark Wade book, in my opinion. So to imagine how someone like Robinson, who is, again, a, a terrific writer and, and touches on similar themes like you mentioned in Starman, but to imagine how different this w- book would have been without Wade is something I find really interesting. I also think covering this book right in this moment, and I would love to hear Anne touch on this a bit as well, realizing that Mark Wade is writing World's Finest and Shazam, which are very much a return to a certain tone of DC that even when we've been promised that's what we will get, we have not been getting. And so if Kingdom Comes says comic books need to be light, bright, hopeful, and something we can look towards to learn about heroism, I think World's Finest and Shazam are Mark Wade just doing that. He's no longer telling us that's what should be done. He's just got the clout to do it. And it yeah, made this he, read through really fun. Like present day Mark Wade has basically become like the Justice League in this book where they have to come back to kind of mainstream superheroing and fix the mess that the next generation has made. <laughs> yeah, Mark Wade fulfilled his own prophecy. He didn't know it at the time, but his 30-year-old self was writing a story for his 60-year-old self to be like, here's what I need you to do. I need you to walk into that bat cave and tell that old man enough. And it's I'm working. looking at that page right now. Yeah, it's working. I really think it is. I think people are really, really responding to what DC is doing right now. And I think there's a reason for it. I think it's the first time I've seen a publishing house actually like look at what people are saying and be like, you know what? We're going to try it. We're just, just for shits and giggles, we're going to try what they're saying for a second. We're going to see what happens. And I don't know what the sales look like, but I really hope that they're showing that people are enjoying these. Because I feel like I've seen such added positivity surrounding DC's line since they've gone back and embraced books that have this overall tone again. And I think it's it's the same feeling I had at the beginning of like Rebirth, where it felt like for a second everyone was really, really excited for what DC was doing, and it felt like they were actually going to embrace that. And I know it's it's going to come crashing out at some point, because it always does, because, you know, this industry moves in cycles, and the cycles will come again. But for right now, I'm just really, really enjoying it. And I'm... I'm actually really excited to see where that overall narrative goes because I I think it's been missing from comics for a long time, just that general sense of optimism, especially DC. I agree wholeheartedly. Optimism is the way, but also I raise you evil Shazam saying Shazam and striking Superman with a lightning bolt four times over the course of two pages. That might be the hardest thing that's ever happened. And I need more of that level of tomfoolery. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's a really interesting kind of pivot to something that I wanted to talk about with this book, which is Billy Batson, Shazam, Captain Marvel, is the MVP of Kingdom Come, undoubtedly. He has the coolest moments, maybe the greatest splash page in comics ever. Um, I'm trying to find it. I'm frantically flicking through my copy to to find it. Um, So you and appears in front of Superman and you get that incredible um, oh yeah pe- right at the end of chapter 3 it's so good I it, I think it's a really interesting take that Mark Waid has where it's like since Billy is literally two people he is Billy and he is Captain Marvel he is the boy and the god I love that he has a very Mark Waid's like he is very literally the man who walks in both worlds where it's like you can say that, like, well, let's, yeah, Superman grew up in Kansas, but he never stops being Superman. So he's constantly these two people. Whereas Billy makes the choice to be one or the other, and so I like that. That's that moment where Superman's like, "You're the one. You're the only one who can decide this for us, because you're the only one who gets it in a way that we can't." Well, I mean, ultimately, just within the history of superhero comics, it is Captain Marvel that brings the first second wind to superheroes, right? We often talk about the Silver Age and Marvel Comics as bringing Mm -hmm. a new wave of superheroes, but we forget because of all the lawsuits that Captain (laughs) Marvel came in as Superman was becoming a touch stale, and I'm, I'm sorry to say it, a touch stale, and took the concept and just gave it rocket fuel and made kids fall in love again Mm -hmm. with superheroes. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting for me about how Wade and Ross treat Captain Marvel in this book is you're right, it's like he is kind of the bridge of the Golden and Silver Age generations, but he's also, because he's that generation younger than Superman and the rest of the DC heroes, he's in a really interesting position in this book where you've got that divide between like Magog and the new kind of edgy 90s allegory characters and the old tried and trusted Golden and Silver Age characters. And Billy is a product of the original era, but as a child. So in real terms, he's of the same age as the new generation of heroes. That's a really interesting dichotomy he's in where he's kind of the bridge between two worlds and how his fate at the end of the book ultimately is the bridge between that divide. Um, and it's also interesting because like, you know, you touched on the lawsuits as well and how Captain Marvel eventually kind of ceased publication after DC sued Fawcett. And then in the years after, um, Captain Marvel's cancellation, you have the creation of Marvel Man, later renamed to Miracle Man, who was essentially a British copy of Captain Marvel because the company in the UK that distributed Captain Marvel books could no longer do it. So they just made their own and carried on, which later because of Alan Moore, became like one of the first major examples of a dark deconstruction of superheroes, which is something that Kingdom Come very much commentates on. So it's interesting how that kind of comes full circle, telling a story that argues back against that notion of like dark deconstructionism by using the character that was the inspiration of the first major version of that. That rules. That's why we bring you on, Owen. That ruled. I did not even think about that. Wow. I'm not trying to paint it. I'm not trying to paint it like Kingdom Come is like a big middle finger to Alan Moore. No. That is not what I'm trying to say at all. But it is interesting how Wade and Ross and and Moore ask themselves the same questions and yet come to kind of contrasting conclusions. 
And I think that's a really interesting insight into how Alan Moore sees comics and specifically how Moore sees the DC universe versus how someone like Wade does. And that's not to say one writer is better than the other. They are they're both two of my absolute favorites. But it's an interesting parallel, I think. Well, and I also think it's worth acknowledging that we so often frame it as dark and gritty or optimistic as far as DC Comics goes, where it can be dark and gritty and optimistic. Like, you can have both tones across a line. I think there's just as much room for Alan Moore as there is Mark Wade at the table. And that is what makes DC Comics special. Because, like Anne said earlier in the show, they have the gravitas of mythology. Look at mythology. that You have satires like Jason and the Argonauts. You have grand adventures like the Odyssey. You can have whatever you want from mm-hmm. this larger-than-life mythology. And I am so grateful to have both Kingdom Come and Miracle Man on my shelves to visit, depending on how I want to ruminate on this mythology that we've created. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So there's... When no, when we kind of decided this was going to be the topic we spoke on Dallas, there was a really interesting thing I wanted to ask you about um, that I think you're probably the most qualified out of the three of us to, to discuss, which is the kind of religious and biblical aspects of this series. What? Because it Dallas, is very much. No, no, I don't know what you're talking it about. It is very much built on a lot of biblical allegories, some very overt, some kind of more subversive. Um, and, you know, minor spoiler for anyone who doesn't know, I'm not the most clued up on all things Christianity and religion. Um, so I was interested in your reading of this as someone that is slightly more knowledge on that subject, of how you think Wade uses those ideas and that iconography and what that says about the story, and then also how that maybe links back to your interpretations of those ideas as well. Yeah, so we've hit two of the three major pillars of superhero comics. We've hit self-referential history, we've hit fandom, and now we need to hit Judeo-Christian imagery. And then we've got the whole cadre. Um, So this, if you are unaware, listener, this whole book is a massive nod and allusion to the Apocalypse or Revelation of John, which is the last book in the Christian canon of scripture. It's a book that was written around 95 CE, purported to be from John the Apostle, written on the Isle of Patmos. There's Obviously, there are a lot of debates about where this actually comes from, if it actually came from this apostle, but just came from someone who is attributing their writing to this apostle. But the Apocalypse of John, and Apocalypse being the Greek word just for revelation, the modern connotation of Apocalypse as the end of the world comes from this genre. This genre was not named for the word. It kind of goes in reverse order. But the Apocalypse of John belongs very much within the canon of apocalyptic literature, which I'll get into really quickly. So from 200 BC to about 100 AD, first in Jewish and then in Christian thought, there was an era of writings that followed a lot of standard conventions that began with the book of Daniel, 
which was written around the time of the Maccabean Revolt. So setting the stage, the kingdom of Judah is down bad. They are being ruled by the Greeks to their north. The Greeks are not nice to them. And then when the Greeks are being beaten by the Egyptians, they're being ruled by the Egyptians who are not nice to them. And they're just getting tossed back and forth between these two empires. And they have an incredibly negative worldview. And there are rumblings and promises of revolution that will free them and restore them to the glory of the era of the kingdom of David, which is seen as sort of like the golden age of Judaism at this point. And so writers start to write a lot about how the world as it is right now is very wicked. Everything is bad, but we will be given a deliverer who will usher us into a new golden age. It uses a lot of obscure imagery and a lot of esoteric language to sort of elevate and mystify this message. But ultimately, these are radical texts about a need to shift from the status quo we're in towards a hopeful future, because right now we are not seeing very much hope around us. So this is the tradition that John in like I said, about 97 CE, writes his great apocalyptic treatise to the Christian community saying, hey, Rome is persecuting Christians. Our leadership is being crucified. It's going to be a hard couple hundred years. But I promise you, through the course of this book, you will see that though things are very dark and very scary, And they may seem like they're going to get worse. There is a deliverer coming and a happy future to come from that deliverer. And so I think the use of the trappings of apocalyptic literature by Wade and Ross, though clearly they're drawing most heavily from the book of Revelation because that's the apocalyptic literature everyone knows, they're actually tapping into something much older that has a lot of the same messaging that they are trying to get across in this book. That though things may seem bad right now, if you look to the right places and rely on those right places, you can find the kind of bright future you're looking for. And so to cast Superman in that salvific role within your apocalypse works marvelously in Kingdom Come. And I think the last bit from all apocalyptic literature that really cements Kingdom Come as an excellent entry into the canon, I'll put it at the back of my own Bible, is this idea that all of this is observed by, but not influenced by, the writer. So John is actually the only one who says who he is writing it. All the rest of them are anonymous. Um... John also of, by the way, I am Jesus's favorite disciple, and I beat Peter in that foot race that one time. Fame from his own gospel is also the funny little guy that named himself and broke the convention. But you get this silent observer who watches the history of the world play out and whose only job is to report back to it on this. So I think this book really works because of the outside perspective looking in 
at the story. And I don't know how much Mark Wade and Alex Ross understood what they were tapping into with this genre, but they did a great job of it. If they truly were only referencing Revelation, I think they took the lessons from that and applied it so beautifully to their own apocalyptic text. So that that's a little bit of the background on the religious genre that we're playing with here. Wow, you somehow managed to beat me for the most kind of thought-provoking and insightful monologue on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> well, so I really appreciate that I let both of you know, hey, listen, I'm sick. So, you know, I was planning to carry this episode, but I'm glad that you guys came in here. Real <laughs> niche, um, real, you know, you, you really backed me up here. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. It makes my job a lot easier. So I think I think what you said there, Dallas, was really, really insightful because as I'm listening to you explain this kind of biblical story, I'm mentally in my head seeing the parallels in how it's reflected in Kingdom Come and seeing how kind of Norman McKay and the Spectre kind of take on that role of John and how they're kind of not only narrating to us, but watching on the kind of apocalypse and Armageddon as it happens and how eventually it's, it's managed to be subverted. I just think that's, it's so interesting. Thank you. Um, this Superman does not beat the Christ allegory allegations. <laughs> oh no, this is like on this. If we had to like have a scale of the most Christ-like Superman, I think this might break the scale. <laughs> this is not Moses Superman. This is Jesus Superman, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, but I also like. The framing of Superman's return as a second coming in the Christian definition of the word is fascinating because then we subvert it by showing it as not a perfect kingdom being created. And I mean, even the title Kingdom Come comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he makes his own apocalyptic promise that Mm -hmm. the kingdom of God will come, thy kingdom come to rule on earth forever in peace, tranquility, and perfection. And so for the promise of this to be Superman's return and the establishment of a perfect kingdom, and then for the book to demonstrate how difficult that is for Superman to do is fascinating. So an interesting uh, little detail I noticed today when flicking through this book is that in the kind of opening sequence, when you see like the modern generation of superheroes just wrecking shit and, and making a big mess of things, there's a character, and I'm definitely not the first person to notice this, but there's one of the vigilantes who's kind of like got this kind of like black leather, almost bondagey kind of gear on. <laughs> Looks Do you know like how little that to... narrows it down? They're a character called 666, because I Googled them. Yes. Because okay. I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. Um, and this character, as soon as I saw them, I was like, that kind of looks like Brian Azzarello. So I Googled it and apparently, yeah, no, it was, that's exactly who it's meant to look like, which I don't know what that says, what Wade and Ross are trying to say, but I think that's really fun. I just want to look every person who talks about like referencing as a bad thing in art in the eyeballs and tell them they're cowards because every great artist references. That's how you make art. And Alex Ross made one of the prettiest comic books of all time 
by just drawing a bunch of people he knew. I said this um, when I made my video on Kingdom Come a while back, but this comic is so beautiful that, like, if Alex Ross existed, you know, a thousand years ago, he would be, Kingdom Come would be drawn on the ceiling of some sort of Roman temple. Oh, yeah. That is how incredible the art in this book is. Like, it would be on the ceiling of the Vatican if Ross was alive when that was constructed. But instead, we just got a bunch of naked angels. How boring. No, no. Unbelievable. Is there an artist alive today that even comes close to what Alex Ross is doing? No, because he keeps leveling up. Like, Fantastic Four full circle. With yes, the I just read that over vacation. Oh my god. <laughs> Holy cats. The flat Not neon to... lighting on his pencils changed mm-hmm. my brain chemistry. That was crazy. Not to pivot this conversation to discussing everything fantastic for a full circle, but the way that Ross manages to like find a perfect middle ground between his traditional style and the art style of Jack Kirby is like the most genius thing I've ever seen. It's beautiful. How is no one talking about this book? That's the, it's a perfect that's the thing comic. that surprised me. Because people are fake. People are fake. Real <laughs> ones read Fantastic Four Full Circle. And I propose that we get this little gang back together to talk about it at one point. Because it's a perfect book and we can get it in more people's hands. Yes. Hell yeah. It's a good but plan. I, I like feel like plan. we should continue talking about Kingdom Come a little oh, bit more. Fine, yeah. In the meantime. There's... Um, uh, so one of the big things with me is I love characters and character play and the relationships between them. And in the midst of all these really, really great themes um, that Kingdom Come is trying to get across, I think one of the most interesting themes is one that we've seen get a lot of pushback lately. We've seen a lot of movies come out where it's these older characters coming back after they've made mistakes and they're having to face up to their mistakes and their characters who, you know, the audience views is perfect, be it Indiana Jones, be it Luke Skywalker. And we get a lot of a pushback on those stories, I think. And it's always surprising to me that you see Kingdom Come regarded so heavily when it's characters like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman who are so iconic and have these really, really stringent um, moral codes that they adhere to. And seeing how each one of those three has fallen in one way or the other, where it's Wonder Woman has become more aggressive over time because she feels like she failed as the ambassador of peace. Superman just gave up on the planet and Batman, you know, turned um, Gotham into, what was that? I was going to make a reference to a movie, but my sick mind can't pull it up at the moment. Um, Into freaking Minority Report. That's that's the movie. I figured it out. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting to see what the the lowest point for all these characters looks like. And I just wanted to like ask you guys what you thought about that. Bad. <laughs> yeah, I like it when my superheroes I like it when superheroes do good stuff and not bad stuff. I for one want people to know that I I do not agree with the fascism in this book <laughs> did ever did everyone hear me i, I okay do well, not we're on agree. That track, i want people to know i don't agree with fascism at all not just in this book but also in this book but nice. also outside this book bad on all counts 
Oh yeah, well I'll raise I... you one more. I think it's it's has always been bad. And I for one have never even once thought about it before right now because I don't let bad thoughts into my mind. I'm glad. I thought about it once when I was reading Final Crisis and how bad it was and how Darkseid represented it and then how Superman beat him by singing. Hmm. I literally beat the ultimate symbol of fascist with the arts. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I'm glad mm. I could spark such enlightening conversation. Okay, I have my piece. We can did you do say, whatever now. Did you <laughs> say good. lightning conversation? Because again, I want to reiterate, Shazam hits Superman four times with lightning bolts. It's the hardest thing anyone's ever done. That's a lightning conversation I want to return to. Thank you. Ironically, I don't even think that's the hardest part in that scene because you have Mark Wade's um, captions for Shazam's arrival where he says, by a single bolt of lightning, Armageddon has arrived. Which I don't think there's ever been a better phrase written in an American comic book. It's that favorite Shazam moment in this. Yes. I think my favorite Shazam moment in this is the moment where Batman realizes that it's just Billy. It's like, finally, <laughs> we've been sitting around here for weeks listening to your freaking <laughs> Luther bullshit because we didn't know if that freaking magic dork was actually a god or not. I needed to be sure. And then you, like, weirdly touch his ear, and I'm like, okay, now I'm sure. Now I'm ready. I'm, I'm good. Everything's good. Yeah. Also, great use of, like, a Mr. Mind concept as a way to control Captain Marvel. I think that was really cool. Very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love the way that Wade writes Captain Marvel, Shazam. I love the way Wade wrote it in this book, and I love the way that he's writing it currently. That's a character that appeals to his sensibilities as a writer really well. An interesting little detail um, that I thought would be really interesting to bring up is, so there's a lot of like big themes of Kingdom Come, both kind of biblical and kind of commentating on the industry. But one of the most sillier themes is the idea of like the commodification of superheroes specifically as waiters and servers at a novelty themed restaurant. And what that kind of tells us about how kind of superhero iconography has been commodified culturally, um, both at the time that this was being written and in years since, because like it's, it's a little thing kind of thrown in as a, as a book in this series. Um, the shot of the Trinity sat around this kind of gaudy table, ordering, ordering flash burgers and, and all sorts, mm-hmm. is so ridiculous. But I also would definitely go to this restaurant. I, I have no shame. I do think that segues us so well into one of the questions we got. I have to share it so that we can answer. Sorry, I've just remembered. I'm looking at that. Sorry to cut you off. I'm just looking at that page where they're ordering. And we've got the Starro the Casserole and the Man of Beef. I am the Man of Beef. You are the Man of Beef. Guys. <laughs> also, apparently, uh, one of the things on this restaurant uh, menu is called Dial H for Hoagie, which I love. That was that was my favorite. <laughs> that one goes so hard. I want the Beast Boy Racker ribs. Hell yeah. But Darius Owen Canning does write in about this exact topic. He says, surely there are only two questions about Kingdom Come. What would you order 
at the DC hero themed restaurant? And what would your addition to the menu be? That's a good question. Mm. I, I don't see a whole lot of vegetarian options just from what's mentioned in these pages. So I don't know how much I could eat, but you could order the plant animal mineral man vegetarian option. <laughs> and yeah, and like an animal vegetable mineral man salad. That sounds delightful. That is awesome. Bingo, baby. I would definitely order Dial H for Hoagie just because it's the one that makes me laugh the most. But if I could add something, yeah. maybe let's see, what's the punniest thing I can think of on a cold writ in mind? Um, this is a this is a really good test of how good our improv skills are. Okay, yep. Yeah, I got it. Wonder Ramen. Oh. Boom. That was pretty good. Thank you. That was pretty good. My only worry about this restaurant is that it will be a little bit like when a friend in Germany invited me to their American restaurant, thinking it was going to be a fun, good time for all of us. Mm -hmm. And I put into my body the worst cheeseburger I've ever tried. And I understood a little bit better what it feels like. To be betrayed. To to be betrayed, um, to feel wronged and appropriated. Um, It's so funny you mention that. It was such because a terrible it experience. Me of, it's so funny you mention that because it reminds me of the time I was in Germany and I went to an Irish bar, um, which didn't quite feel Irish, but also the time I went to America and went to an English restaurant, which was some of the worst um, English food I've ever eaten. And that's saying something. But um, <laughs> it, sh- it sure is. <laughs> And all I'm hearing from this conversation is that it is time, third time's the charm, for Britain and America to get together and go and tell Germany to knock it off. <laughs> that's, that's, that's your takeaway from this podcast, that we need to start another war? Yes. Yes. I, and were we not all on the same page there? And that specifically wars are best solved with giant bombs. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Oppenheimer in theaters this this week. <laughs> Check it out. Giant what? bombs? Did someone say The Flash 2023? Oh, oh, sh- deserved. Based. Hell yeah. That one stung, and I didn't even have a horse in that race. <laughs> Dallas, would you like to read some... Uh... Yes, I can. <laughs> I can read some of those. All right. Listener questions. Yes, let's do that. First up, Glenn Machette writes, Dear Planet Krypton patrons, when I first read Kingdom Come, I liked it, but found it hard to fully engage. I was relatively new to the wider DCU and wanted to know more context about the characters I was reading about. This has given in the excessive additional material in the absolutes. Am I the only one that felt like I needed more context with Kingdom Come? Um, you know, Glenn, no, I felt lost, but I was used to feeling lost when I read this. So it wasn't a huge hindrance. How about you two? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really fair 
statement to make. I very much kind of view this in the same way I view something like All-Star Superman, which is that like you can get a good level of enjoyment out of it if you've never read a comic before. But the more you know about the industry, the more you will probably enjoy of Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, personally, I was never lost because, as I said, I engaged with this book for the first time with the absolute. I was very fortunate to be in that position, but it's definitely worth the money if you want to track it down. Just for the bonus material alone, having a Dramatis Personae at the end is really, really cool. So if you find a character, you're like, who the hell is that little 70s looking dude? And you're like, oh, that's Garth. Okay, very neat. I wish he would look a little different, but that's very neat. I know who he is now, and I can have a semi-emotional connection with him the more and more I know about DC Comics. Because, yeah, 10 years on, I definitely know a lot more of these characters than I did first reading it. And it's crazy, because even 10 years on, I'm still learning new things. Like, the robot man in this book is actually Cyborg, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I that's one of the reasons I highly recommend that absolute edition because it just helps so so much especially if you've read it before and you just want to get a deeper understanding for what you're actually looking at on the page yeah all right for the sake of time we are going to move on to the next question thank you glenn for the great question um, and do you want to read our question from, uh, it starts, hello from Brazil. It's from Dan. And down low is where the two questions are listed. Thank you everyone for the Let's... long preambles. We just, we do have Owen up very late. So we're going to breeze through these yeah. a little bit and skip to the questions within the questions. Okay. Yeah. Hello from Brazil. I wasn't expecting you to cover this book anytime soon, but this surprise was more than welcome. One of my most prized comics is the absolute edition of the story. Oh, you said skip straight to the questions? Yes. So I have two questions. Sorry. Like I said, my cold brain right now, it's, I'm a little behind. Okay. Two questions. First, which new design of the characters did you enjoy the most? Yo, Green Lantern hit so hard. My, my mind immediately did go to Green Lantern the Green Lantern suit in this. And it's interesting how like the almost kind of like armored heavy collar look is later reflected in the new 52 version of Alan Scott and um, how they kind of take that as a bit of an inspiration. I've always had mixed feelings on the Robin costume in this. Um, I've always, I've never known how I feel about Robin with a full mask, mm-hmm. but it's, it's an interesting design. And then, I said it earlier, I think this is the best Superman has ever looked. I love the Kingdom Come suit, even if he does have a ponytail. So I'd have to mention that. Is this the first time that Red Robin look ever pops up? I believe so. Okay. Interesting. I think my, one of my personal favorites, I, you know, I love the Wonder Woman golden armor, but this is just from a, like a character design standpoint, because the costume is exactly the same as she, you know, always wears, but Power Girl Alex Ross was the first person to be like, hey, I'm not going to be a coward. Power Girl's really, really fucking buff. And I think that's yeah. really cool and understated and doesn't get the, deten- the attention it deserves. Mm-hmm. Back to yeah. ass. I also want to add, sideless skirt Wonder Woman is the bravest and best decision Alex Ross has ever made. That went crazy. <laughs> that went stupid crazy. <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, so the second question, if you could choose 
one of the many new characters here to introduce for the first time into the main canon due to multiversal shenanigans. Which one would you pick and why? Thank you for reading this. Sorry for it's too long. Dan, it was not too long, Dan. We just, we're getting through it. We love you. The old man. That's a good question. I, I would. Yeah, Norman, just give him a miniseries. Give him like, get let Tom King write a Norman Inspector 12 issue series. You get it. Oh, well, so I, I, got... I would like to see I'd like to see more Magog just to see him kind of get the shit kicked out of him by Superman on a regular basis let's see I gotta find which one of my girlies I would like because of course that's what I would bring in what's alien girl what's your name Yo, god let damn me it write... I'm flipping so quickly her name is Trix let's do Trix let me write the Aaliyah Strange miniseries. But also Nightstar. That'd be so good. Also Nightstar, because I love the idea of a Dick Grayson and um, Starfire child. I, that's a power mm. child. Hell yeah. Surprise you didn't pick lightning because she's naked. Anyway, next question. We already have a lightning. <laughs> and she's great. Okay, this is going to be our last question for the evening, and it's going to be from Daniel Perez, who writes, Hey, Comics Collective Gang, enjoying the podcast, and hope my question got in. It did, and many didn't, Daniel, so shout out you. I'm sure a significant part of your discussion regarding Kingdom Come was the commentary the creative team provided in regards to the at-time-changing taste of superheroes in the morally gray and excessively violent 90s that was woven not just through Ross's eccentric character designs, an assignment he would carry over in one of my favorite series, Astro City, but in the scathing critique and Wade's narrative of a world that just didn't believe in the heroes anymore. What takes do you guys have in the debate and what ways do you think the industry has responded to the nineties for better or worse? You know, I think it took a few decades longer than it should have, but I really think the comics are starting to understand like, Hey, just because we can't make something really, really mature and gritty and dark doesn't mean we have to. It does. I, I feel like we're finally starting to, as a, genre move away from the fact that not everything needs to be the Dark Knight Returns and not everything needs to be Watchmen. The fact that I can't off the top of my head tell you the last time I saw like a sexual assault in a comic. I can't tell you um, the last time I saw um, anything that would have been popular in the 90s. Oh wait, I, I can I can tell you a pretty good example of fridging as of late. But you know, for the most part I feel like comics <laughs> have moved away from that um, that era of just like, if we make things violent enough, the kids will come. And I think that's that's for the best. And yeah, yeah. I think that for me, I, I've had a running joke where I said like the biggest negative that the 90s left behind is the early to mid 2000s of comics. Um, but it does feel like the industry is starting to turn a corner a little bit. I really like a lot of the stuff that DC is doing recently. Getting Mark Wade back to just write all of their big books is certainly helping. Um, it's an interesting idea that, that Kingdom Come is this kind of like foreboding warning of what might come, not only to the DC universe, but to the comics industry. So it reflects on how much that warning was heeded in the 20, 25 years since it was published. I don't know. Um, I don't have a direct answer immediately, but it's an interesting thing to consider. 
I think something that was lost from the 90s that makes me sad is the long hair Superman. Yes. Long form storytelling. Yes. Both true. Anne's is more correct. <laughs> I <laughs> really mourn the death of the ongoing serial nature soap opera that was comic books. The 90s were the end of that version of storytelling. The early 2000s gave birth to the trade paperback written for the trade Brian Michael Bendis approach to comics, which I love, which got me into comics. I have nothing bad to say about them, but I do miss when the comic book industry could support something like Starman going 80 issues because that was just the expectation that a comic would go that long rather than yeah. the exception to the rule. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to think that like a book like Starman or something like Animal Man or Morrison's Doom Patrol wouldn't get made today and the amount of incredible stories we might have lost if the way in which the books are commissioned now was kind of historically how it was done. And what terrific books we might have missed out on because of that change in the industry. Well, I think the reality is there are some books that take a second to get their legs under them and we just don't get to see books get yeah. their legs under them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's like out here, like people fighting for their lives for a book like Green Arrow or Hawk Girl to go past six issues. And it's like, it. I think it makes it hard for people to invest too, because it's like, what's the point of me checking out the series if I know the whole thing's going to be done in half a year and I can just check it out when it's done? Well, that's it. And only that kind of the stop start nature of the storytelling were like, unless you're reading kind of one of the trinity or a major kind of team there is no guarantee that the story you're reading is going to continue over a long period of time mm-hmm. i because th- i think a, a study came out with like netflix shows lately where it's like people have stopped watching things before they know if there's gonna be a season two or not because they're like what's the point if i'm gonna get to like a cliffhanger at the end of season one yeah. and i'm gonna want more and it's just not gonna happen mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's a very similar problem Absolutely. Thank you for the thought-provoking questions, everyone. Owen, before we roll our credits, do you have any last things you want to say or pitch to our listeners? Um, Yeah, sure. Firstly, I'll say Kingdom Come Rules, and thank you for letting me talk about it with two people that also rule. Uh, Very fitting. Thank you. It's been great to chat about this book and to to reread it and to reflect on it and consider what I've already said about it when I made my video and how my feelings and thoughts might have changed a little bit. Really interesting. Um, If you've listened to, if you've made it this far into the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to me, you can do a lot more of it over at youtube.com slash Comics. I make um, long form uh, videos on the real world history of comics. So if you like learning the behind the scenes of how stories get made and what influences them and the legacy and the significance of them, I do lots of that. It's a great time. Um, when this goes up, I think I will have just released my um, remix, re-edit version of my Death of Superman video. Years ago, I, I covered the Death of Superman, not the best, um, because I was very new and I didn't know what I was doing. So I've decided to go back in and, in my own kind of Taylor Swifty way, release a, an updated, better version of that. Um, it's nearly half an hour long. It's very comprehensive. I talk about the Eradicator. It's fun. 
Um, so that should be up on YouTube and um, follow me on Twitter at Owen Likes Comics. Or Twitter has exploded by the time this goes up. I'm on threads as well. Same username. Nice. Owen is one of the premier comic book historians that mm-hmm. we have. And I'm not just gassing them up. Absolutely go learn about the history of this medium that we love so much and come away a better comic book fan for it. Thank you. Hell yeah. Yeah. We love you, Owen. Thanks for coming on. We do. If you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at The Comics Collective, or you can find each of us at Dallas underscore comics at and comics or at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoy the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star written review and we'll read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions, comments, or compliments at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. Hell yeah. And we'll see you next week for our episode on, hey, Anne, what are we reading next week? Oh, I don't know, Anne. How about some Wonder Woman? I want to read some fucking Wonder Woman, and it's going to be great. And we're reading Gail Simone's Wonder Woman. We're doing the whole thing. All of it. We're we're crazy people. It's going to be so much fun. I'm very excited. I haven't read the series since the start of the pandemic. So it's going to be nice going back in with some good friends with some fresh eyes to check this out again, because I love it so much. I think this is our first Gail Simone book we're doing on the show, which is crazy. That is Am crazy. I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. And that is crazy. Yeah. And this is the run that made me a massive Wonder Woman fan. So yeah. I'm excited to revisit it. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.